Hey there, welcome to Beyond the Bikini podcast, where you can enhance your body and your mind. My name is Nicole Ferrier, exercise science grad, certified personal trainer, bikini competitor, and coach. On this podcast, you will learn more about my experience in the fitness industry, competing in bikini competitions, mental health, and how to gain more success in your own life in your fitness journey. So sit back, relax, or power through this cardio session and enjoy. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Beyond the Bikini Radio. Today, we have a returning guest. We have Adam Adkinson on. Welcome back. Good to be here. I don't think we've recorded since you've been in Vegas. I don't think we have either, actually. Yeah, so a lot's changed. Tell us a little bit more about what's going on at See You Later Leaner. Yeah, so honestly, we hadn't even planned on moving to Vegas. We had an offer on our home that was not for sale that we <laughs> couldn't refuse. And as we were looking at homes in Ohio, just briefly online, I said, why are we even thinking of staying here in the first place? So we ended up moving out here in August of 2022. Um there are tons of shows out here. So instead of me traveling as much, a lot of times uh, my athletes come here and we do what we call the see you later leaner experience. And uh, they either stay in Vegas or they stay at our house and uh, we basically cater to them. Sometimes it's their first show. Sometimes it's their 10th. And uh, it it's just a totally different environment than you know, what most people get to experience with a coach. Yeah. Don't you have like a whole posing like studio in your house? So we do, but we found a great home with Elevation Fitness. So we're actually um, posing most of our people out there. And then that room is getting converted to a podcast studio. Funny enough, that should should have been done by this podcast, but we're yeah. we're still waiting on a few things to be done. It looks like a dance room with a bunch of mirrors. Like I know the podcasters can't see it, but I remember seeing a picture and being like, I feel like whoever owned this house was like a performer of some sort. <laughs> yeah. So we actually found out there were performers that lived here and rented it out. And then there were um, like entertainers as well. So I think that's the room that they did to like do some choreography and stuff. So that mm -hmm. was really cool. How are you feeling going into 2024 and like the show season and kind of like recapping how 2023 was for you? Yeah, you know, I honestly, at this point of the year, I try to just really continue on hard with my current clients. So, you know, I always feel like for comparing years is difficult for me because I've had multiple different types of success. Uh, like 2023 was a year of healing for a lot of my clients. So we didn't have as many people on stage as we usually do. And some of those clients are still healing to this day. So it's kind of questionable on, you know, who will be competing and when, but um, the internal changes we're making with people, um, are really cool. And I think that's a different perspective that a lot of contest coaches are going through is because we've learned so much about internal health now that some of our clients are sitting on the bench a little bit longer than uh, 
we used to. And also the size is so much, uh, you know, I personally think that the size is a little bit greater in bikini than it used to be. And mm -hmm. I know some people are, will argue that, but when you look at the top three Olympians, that, you know, it, it is what it is. And some of my people are going to be on a little bit longer of a hold to reach that criteria, you know, mm -hmm. before we put them on stage. Yeah. I mean, it's not like how it was in like 2016 where maybe someone could get away with like six months or a year off. Like now sometimes people need a lot more time. And this is definitely something we're going to be talking about in today's podcast because we're going to be explaining why competing might not be for you and a lot of mistakes people make post-show, which gives them a bad taste of bodybuilding in their mouth. And if you guys don't know Adam, Adam coaches me, but Adam also works with a lot of competitors and he's been in the game for what, a decade now, if not longer. Yeah, I started in 2002. So in July, it'll be like my you know, 23rd year of coaching. So. Yeah. So I was <laughs> drastically off. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> so you've been coaching for a long time. So if anything, you've been able to see the different trends and the social media um, engagement and how that's kind of affected people's perception of competing. So let's kind of dive into a couple of signs that you look for and maybe a potential lead or client that like they want to compete, but like they're not checking all the boxes to where bodybuilding would be the right fit for them. I think the biggest thing that comes to mind with me is accountability. And that checks a lot of the other boxes that I kind of see with people. Um, you really do have to be accountable for yourself there are so many good coaches nowadays. I think that's pretty rare that people find, you know, bad coaching. I think some coaching subpar and there's, you know, probably some bad coaches out there. But when I'm on the phone with somebody and they're just hammering their old coach, I just sometimes mm -hmm. wonder if the coach is even the problem, you know. Um, there's obviously instances where people don't hear back for a week or two at a time that I've heard. And I don't even know how those coaches even get clients. But, you know, when I hear the blame game going on, you know, at that point, that person could have switched coaches, not been in that situation um, mm -hmm. or, you know, X event happened. So I binged or, you know, there's, there's so many things that, I, I would say the blame game, people just not taking accountability for their own actions. So my shoes mm -hmm. came up tied, so I didn't do my cardio for the day. You know, it's uh, really silly things that knock people off track and it is competing. And um, I think I'm a nice coach, but I'm also realistic too. And there are times you kind of had to put your foot down and say, this probably isn't for you. Yeah. I think with competing, you have to have a different level of resilience where if a little bump in the road happens, you're not going to really fumble. Now, you're still a human being. God forbid something awful happen. You know, I'm sure like both Adam and I would be understanding if you're like, oh, my gosh, someone died in my family and it was traumatic. All right. We get that. But if you're like, oh, it was raining outside and I just didn't feel like leaving my house to go to the gym and get my cardio. And it's like, 
all right, where's the resilience? Where's the, the want to be here? Because bodybuilding is a sport. It's not just something that you just do to do. And I think people just look at fitness and nutrition and they think, oh, this is just the same thing as bodybuilding. And it's not, it's fitness and nutrition to the extreme and to the most precise that you can be. So if you're like half-assing your workouts, half-assing your nutrition, if you find that your motivation is very wavy and you rest more when you know that you should be pushing, that's a sign that like the sport just isn't for you. Yeah, people usually already know what the problem is, but then they'll start making excuses in their head like, well, so-and-so does it, so I should be able to also and you kind of see it, you know, as somebody who has a team, um, I can tell how well mentally geared my clients will be based on who, who else they're tagging on my team and social media. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've had people where I'm like, shit, you know, they're linked up with so-and-so and and -and so-and-so has the freaking horrible mental, you know, mindset. And I just Mm -hmm. know they're going to go down the rabbit hole too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Who you surround yourself with. And I personally even feel like, although there's different like teams out there, you as an individual need to be able to hold yourself responsible and just focus on yourself too. Like that doesn't mean you shouldn't connect with others by any means, but you shouldn't be dependent on your friend doing a show for you to do a show or for your friend to be of a team. So you should be of that team. Like you have to decide what's the best choice for you. I have, you know, a bunch of friends in the industry. They're also coaches. They work with different coaches and that's okay. Like I'm not going to hire their coach in order to look like them or whatever it might be. And you got to just kind of focus on your needs and find the right person for you. And that might be different than your friend. Yeah, yeah, 1000%. And it's okay to have friends, you know, that you, you know, support at certain times, you might have friends that you need to, you know, not associate yourself with. I mean, this sport is about getting yourself better. And I know that may sound kind of shitty that you got to let people go. But sometimes if it is holding you back, or they're putting a lot of their drama on you, like, like you also have a choice to, you know, not associate with them as much, you know, I mean, yeah. sometimes people have big things that happen, and you do need to be there for them. But I think we all know that one person who like every little thing is like trauma for them. And like, you're just not going to make it if that's your personality. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you kind of need to pick your, your traumas and the things that uh, scare you or put fear in you. And uh, it can't be everything. Yeah. Another thing I look at for someone in competing is just like this great relationship with food and their body. Like they're not getting into this for, their goal body, they're not getting into it for just the aesthetics, they're getting into it because, you know, maybe they have that athletic background, they want a new challenge, they want to compete in something. They are super passionate about health and fitness and have been in the game for years, but now they want a new challenge. And that's a sign that you're going to be a good competitor. But if you have issues with like, restriction and body dysmorphia, and you struggle really hard with like binging, like you mentioned, this also isn't going to be a good sport for you because you have to heal those wounds first. Now there are people who have struggled with food before and they have a great relationship now as a competitor. I would say I'm one of those people. Like I look back at my old self, like struggling with disordered eating. I'm like, I don't know who that person is, 
But now, like you even see as my coach, like I don't really struggle at all with food. And that's how it should be. Like going into a prep should be excited about um, the calorie deficit and like not like overwhelmed that you're going to need a cheat meal or that you're going to binge. Yeah, being excited about the process. And that's one thing that's been amazing about coaching you through a different phase of your life now versus when we had really first started together, Mm -hmm. which I think I caught you at better end of it, you know, but, um, you know, life isn't always easy and we're not always going to have everything figured out. And I think one thing that was big for you, again, accountability, you took a lot of accountability for how you were feeling. Um, you didn't necessarily, um, just retreat and blame, crap on anything I think you just really said I have some things I need to work on and I do like competing but I know I need Mm -hmm. to work on x y and z to be a great competitor and that's how this should be um yeah a little rant here but like I see girls who are blaming the hormone issues they had two years ago still on Instagram today. And it's like, well, why haven't you done this fix yet? And they're always the ones who can't say which hormones are off. They just say hormones in general. I don't think they've ever had a freaking lab drawn in their life, you know? And then there's a whole camp of people who are misinformed who are like, I like this person because they're making excuses and we want to be in the excuse, you know, thing. And granted, mm-hmm. I help plenty of people with their hormones, but those are people who are being accountable and fixing it, you know, and taking mm-hmm. action. You have to understand as a competitor too, if you pull labs two to three months after your show, they're probably not going to be good. Like they're going to look kind of rock rocky and they're supposed to be, you just took your body through a very stressful thing You've been underfueled. You've been probably doing a lot of cardio, probably under some sort of stress, even outside of just prepping. And so, sure, we're going to see some issues here, but that doesn't mean competing broke you. If we look at competing itself, it's just changing some of those habits. And again, you're not able to get the rest that you need. You're not able to get, get like the nutrient variety or volume in. And as soon as we can fix those things over time, like those things can naturally correct themselves. Like when I started working with you a couple of years ago, I didn't go into this relationship being like, oh, competing wrecked me. I took accountability. I wrecked me. I competed too much. I didn't take enough time off. I didn't listen to my body. I had so many red flags and I kept going and I kept being stubborn. And I think a lot of people struggle with taking accountability and realizing like, oh, I can fix this if I created it in the first place. Yeah, you just kind of listened to instructions and they weren't the best instructions, even though they were against kind of some things that you knew. And uh, I always appreciated that about you when you came to me, it was just, uh, let's pick back up where we left off and we've got some things to fix, you know? So Mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily you know, you didn't necessarily blame your old coach for anything. You said, well, I followed these protocols to begin with. And that's just how it was, even though it was sad and hard to go through. Um, you yeah. had a great mindset about it. Yeah. And that's um another thing I want to lead into too, is just like the body image. Again, I can't emphasize, emphasize this enough. Like 
as a competitor, you're going to enjoy the shreds. You're going to enjoy, I hate to say this, but the attention that you might get in your everyday life or even on social media, but you have to not get married to that body because it's temporary. And so many people struggle post-show because they don't recognize themselves. But here's the thing. Your show body is not your body. That's not who you are. You're actually the person before you started. Now, we we do want to improve your composition over time. We, we want you ha- having more muscle and looking leaner, of course, but we don't want you so lean that you feel unhealthy or that you still have this issue with food where you're restricting too much or that you're like scared to pull the cardio away. Like the longer you're prolonging that, you're going to have a hard time finding that balance after your competition. And then you're going to feel like, oh, competing again ruined me. No, you have some issues with food and your body. And I had um, recently had a competitor on and she talked about getting a therapist after competing because she needed help finding balance. And that might be something that some of you guys need. And that's absolutely okay. Absolutely. People have posing coaches. They have, you know, basically stylists at this point with suit designers. And and I always said this, competing will expose your weakness, whether it's lack of muscle mass or lack of being able to get conditioned, or maybe your mental health isn't the greatest. Um, you're still able to work on those things. And uh, it really is a whole body thing. So take mm-hmm. the time to be better and invest into the things that um, can make you better. I, I can think of four people that I've had who I'm confident they would be Olympians had they kept going, you know, mm-hmm. and the mind was weak. And as much as I said, you know, I really think you need more uh, mental health. I think the body and uh, the exercise drive is there. Um, they just really needed a mental shift. So it's not yeah. too far gone. If you're one of those people who doesn't take accountability, you can learn to take more accountability as you go and you can really learn a lot about yourself. Sometimes we don't want to learn about those things or we, we feel like we kind of get exposed, but, you know, regardless at the end of the day, when you're on stage a bikini, if you're not conditioned enough or you're, you're kind of exposed for something, just being off in that puzzle that um, didn't get you the class win, or maybe you don't have enough muscle um, it really does expose you in the long run. And we may not know exactly what that is, or the judges may not, but, you know, we as coaches and athletes typically do know what we need to work on to be better. Um, sometimes people just avoid it or want to think that it's something else. Mm-hmm. For anyone listening to this podcast, you might hear some like barking a little bit. Uh, I have my dog Hope with me, so she's being a good guest right now, but hopefully she behaves. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What are, what are your thoughts on like social media and its impact on bodybuilding? Like maybe some of the negatives that you've noticed in your clients. Um, of course, there's been so many great things that social media has done for the sport of bodybuilding, but how has that been affecting some of your, mostly I want to talk about like female clients negatively. Yeah. I think that there's these camps where you see kind of photos of like, here's me when I was competing, here's me where I'm I'm not competing and I'm way happier. And, you mm-hmm. know, 
it's great, good for them. But sometimes I think it sends the wrong message. Like you can't be happy and compete. Um, and would I expect someone to be at their happiest? No. And I've never sold my coaching that way. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I I've had ex clients make posts like that and that's fine. I still love and support those clients, but as a coach, I'm like, you really got the wrong message with me because I never tried to promote that that was going to be your happiest self. You mm -hmm. should be happy with those photos. And also, the person has an amazing physique now. They're very well aware of their health and where they're at. Um, I think they're just looking at it in a negative fashion, unfortunately, which makes me think they secretly want to you know, they have some kind of beef with the old physique. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's really sad when you put so much work into it, you know? Yeah, I'm definitely I, I've done posts where I've talked about like the show body or I've shown myself competing and versus like where I'm at right now. And I actually just do the twist of like this, like that lean body isn't like sustainable long term. It's not healthy long term because I think people will only see the lean side of things from competitors and they think, oh, this person looks like this year round, like this must be healthy, like they look great. They have no concept of like what health really is. And then explaining why like gaining, gaining weight and getting some body fat is healthy. And that's the only way that I could have longevity in the sport. If I were one of those competitors that were like lean, lean year round, and we know like some bikini pros that do that there's no way I could do this because I would be so unhealthy. I'd be, probably be very unhealthy physically, but also unhealthy mentally. So I just want to show the sport and like for people who are interested in competing that you're supposed to gain weight after, and that doesn't make you ugly. It doesn't mean your body's fat. It doesn't mean that you ruined all of your progress. Like you're just supposed to do that and it's okay. And you can be happy and you can be confident in that body, but you can also be happy and be confident in your lean body, which it's just a different body. Absolutely. And I think just because the education's not regulated on Instagram, um, also, I think reels are kind of an issue because you're rewarded for shorter content and it really mm -hmm. doesn't explain the whole story. Um, and I saw a women's physique person um, who was masters who posted a before photo of her overweight and then her just shredded to the gills. And she said, this is what healthy hormones look like. And oh. I was like, my <laughs> no. God, you are so wrong. And I messaged <laughs> her and then she blocked me. She was like, um, well, the funny thing is, she said, your 20 something year old self doesn't know anything about an old woman's hormones. I was like, well, thanks for the compliment. I'm in my 40s. But yeah, like, you know, this is uh this is where a lot of the bad info comes about. And, you know, obviously she went to a TRT clinic that probably enhanced her to the gills, you know, but yeah, it's. Uh... As, <laughs> as a social media user, like if you're watching things like reels too, for the love of God, read the caption. Cause sometimes things are catchy and the caption is totally different and that's normal. That's called marketing. People want attention. People want views on their reels. But if you're not reading the caption, like I've done so many reels where someone's like, what if my goal isn't to gain muscle? I'm like, I said that in the caption. That's okay. You know, and I'm sure that you get that too, where someone says something snarky and you're like, it's in the caption. So don't just look at the video. Also look at like the depth of that post. 
and look a little bit deeper. But I know a lot of people just swipe and absorb quickly and they don't think twice about it. People also tend to hear what they want to hear versus what's actually said. Um, so, you know, if they're going into a video with a thought process um, that they want to hear a certain outcome about, you know, something, they will hear that. And I do think, yeah, the, the reels are tough because, you know, when you're reading everything, a lot of times when the reels pop up on your phone, the, you know, the written content under underneath of it typically isn't shown it's, especially yeah it's like faded scrolling yeah and uh I think that's really difficult for people and everything comes with a context too you know um will I put a 26 year old on TRT absolutely not but it's a big thing that's happening in our um industry right now because a lot of coaches are not educated so you know the quick fix the sending people to TRT clinics versus, you know, give them the tools to, you know, help fix them and keep them succeeding post-show. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that's really important. Um, and now there's a whole nother movement on, you know, basically if you over test clients or test clients or give them a certain, you know, number of supplements, you're bad. <laughs> and it's just like, there's always the right glove for everybody. So it's, there's probably some bad stuff out there. I would, I would certainly hope somebody who got $1,600 worth of supplements in their protocol would say, this is insane to be taking this much, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, people just want to make posts on social media and they never want to just go to the problem and, actually physically message the coach and say, Hey, like I got one of your clients and I'm just a little concerned about like what you gave them. Would you be interested in just hearing my side so you can better yourself for later? Um, and I think a lot of coaches don't want to do that. Luckily I've not ran into anything like too, too bad. And most people probably won't be open to that, but I would be super open if I saw something like really negative like that. And instead of blasting the coach on Instagram, I'd rather just reach out to him and say, hey, do you need some fine tuning like in your programming or send that person to mentorship somewhere? Because there's obviously a really big missing link there. Yeah. <clears throat> and as a, a competitor, one, if you're getting just into the sport you're going to be exposed to a lot like you're going to be exposed to people talking about supplements but also peds and you need to know in the sport that there are people that do use peds and if you're someone that wants to be natural please don't complain because it's not tested and it's not against the rules in the sport and i think so many people get upset and irritated and i'm telling the podcast people do use anabolics and they use PEDs. And that's one, none of your business. And two, nothing that you can do about it. So if you want to be natural, that's great. I want you to choose what's right for you and your health. But if you're going into the sport and then you're like, well, everybody just uses drugs and you can't be successful without using drugs. Like that's also a lie because there's plenty of extremely successful competitors that don't do drugs, who never had implants, right? And they are just hardworking and also genetically gifted too. Yeah. And you can't think of the drugs as making up for the work that you're not doing. Another thing I see are, 
you know, clients blaming their health outcomes on the drugs or that they agreed to take, you know, mm-hmm. in the first place. And, you know, there, there are risks. Your coach should be doing more than just sending you take this, this, and this. And this is why I'm huge on the daily Zoom calls that I host with my clients because we talk about anabolics openly and why we might start with one compound and sprinkle in a little bit of a different one closer to the end of their prep. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, what's funny. I had an athlete recently leave, I think because of her PD protocol and um, she definitely didn't have the right changes going into her national show because she didn't stick around long enough, but she definitely looked really small and still not lean enough because I think he just kept the DHTs in her system versus actually giving her something for fullness, you know, but mm-hmm. you can't really complain about your protocol until you give that coach time to actually change it and finish the process, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point too. Like if you are just getting involved in the sport and this is your first time and your first like coach, like give them some time. Like I I am guilty of not maximizing someone's peak before because we learn as we go. You know, this is where it's super helpful to do even just two shows in a year versus just doing one because then that's like your one hit wonder, you know, when you get the opportunity to do multiple shows of a coach. They get to learn what works for your body. They get to learn how you respond. And that's going to help you show up your best on show day. But I think a lot of competitors will put pressure on their coach where they're like, this person's got to perfectly peak me and I got to win my class. And if I don't, they're a crappy coach. And it's like, that's not how any of this works. Yeah. Or you win your class and you get last call outs at nationals because your class wasn't even competitive in the first place, you know? So the regional shows, I see this in wellness a lot because someone just um, did consult with me who wanted to do wellness and I told him no. And she was like, well, I got third in my class. And she's like, I don't think these girls are as big as people are saying. And I was like, have you ever been to the (laughs) Olympia? Like, yeah you know, you're still borderline bikini. And of course, a lot of coaches will take your money and give you a five-year off season or five-year plan. But your your back is up against such a corner for a high amount of PD use, a high amount of virilization once you are really battling your genetics. Like I wouldn't put a pug in a long neck competition with giraffes. So like, I'm not going to do the same with that average legs and try to grow somebody into wellness like that's just Mm -hmm. ridiculous and we're seeing a lot of it because too many coaches are like yes men's you know or women's (laughs) yeah what like whatever you want kind of thing and competing at the regional level to national level is totally different like if you get upset at how you do at a regional level it's gonna hurt two to three times more at a national level because like 98% of people there look wonderful and they look like they could win. And it is embarrassing. I feel like, and really, it can really leave a sour taste in your mouth. If you were to show up and you don't have the look that you feel confident and you want to show up with, like, I could totally see someone showing up like that being like, 
I'm embarrassed and I'm, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad here, but those are our normal natural human emotions to experience when we don't do the way that we want to. Right. So if you don't, you know, even get a call out and your feelings are hurt, I could see you leaving the sport being like F bodybuilding. I hate it. it. It was hard. I did all this work and I didn't get rewarded for it. And again, you're going to lose more than you win, but you got to make sure that you are one entering into the right division for your body, but two listening to the timeline that your coach gives you. If your coach says you're not ready, I think you need more time to add some more muscle on. Okay. Let's listen to that. If your coach says, I think you need to work more on the internal health and the mindset of things. Okay. Let's work on that. Make sure that you can like cover all of those boxes first. And then you should just show up and be proud of what you bring. But again, if you're not proud of what you're bringing, I don't see why you should force yourself on stage. Yeah, absolutely. And there are times people need to experience that next level just to put in perspective how good some of these national competitors are. And I think as long as the coach and client have a conversation that they're probably not going to go pro and you're not gassing them up, that's okay. I think, mm -hmm. you know, with dynamic coaching, you'll find your right people in that scenario. I had a girl who did nationals who there were just no great shows around her. And she was uh, doing a show four weeks out. And we decided to do nationals just as experience. And I said, as, as long as we know we're going for just that, I think that's great. She actually wanted to meet me in person as well. So we decided to do it. And she had a great mindset afterwards. And we mm -hmm. decided a longer off season because of that experience. So yeah. um, I think ultimately it set her in the right direction. I know I'll have 20 coaches who say, I can't believe he put her on stage. But yeah, I hate that, honestly, people. too. You know, like, I'm glad you're paying that much attention to me. Keep it coming, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Even like a regional level, like there have been clients before where we've already had the conversation of like, you know, we're not going to win at the show, but I know that you're really proud of yourself for losing that 60 pounds and you really want to do this and you're excited about it and I'm okay with that and I can support you in that. We just got to make sure that the outcome with those expectations are realistic. You wouldn't tell that girl like, you're going to turn pro, you're going to do great, you know, you're going to win overall. No, we're not going to gas someone up because then you're going to feel like you got hit by a bus when you don't reach those expectations. So going into any show, even as a coach, like my competitors, I've even like won their class and done really well. I did not tell them you're going to win your class. You're going to do great. I did not tell a single one of them that because all I can do is bring you to your best and prepare you. And then the outcome is the outcome. And if you win, I'm ecstatic for you. I'm super happy. But if you didn't do the way that you wanted to, that's okay too. But I don't want you to feel like you're letting me down by any means. And I, that's another reason why so many people hate bodybuilding, right? Because they had the coach that was like, you're going to do amazing. And then they like, don't do well. They get like last. And then they're like, this person lied to me. And there's like that, that loss of trust there too. Or there's people who won't even let their clients try, you know, like you need to gain so much more size. And yes, it is a much different world. But mm -hmm. when I experienced this, there was only bodybuilding. And I was like the world's smallest middleweight, you know, like, and 
I didn't trophy for my first two seasons. And well, actually I did my very last show of my second season. I think I got like fifth. So I like barely squeaked in, but there was only bodybuilding. There were typically 24 to 25 guys in my class. Half of them were masters who'd been lifting way longer than me. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't even have really novice divisions when I started, you know, and uh, it, it's way different now. There's something for everybody. And even though the divisions are a little bit harder, um, I think you need to give people a goal and a reason to get on stage. And I do think some people who are just getting into this or putting stock in two-year off-season improvement seasons before their first show, and they don't even make the finish line because that's just a really unrealistic goal for somebody that's newer to competing. You got to let them experience Mm -hmm. it, even knowing they're going to be small. Let them get lean. Let them see what kind of quality muscles there. And then you can really fine-tune in detail what you saw when they were shredded like they actually do need more delts than you thought etc so um yeah I mean eventually you have to step on stage like if this is your goal it's gonna have to happen for you and I get that a lot of people want to win and do great that's wonderful but I can also tell you that there's also the the newbie that didn't do all the prep and like their genetics are just awesome and they slay it you know but you could take two three years and prepare for that that's fine. But eventually you're going to have to get on stage and get feedback because again, the sport, your body's getting judged and then you need to apply that feedback. So then if the goal is to build muscle, you know, that has to happen through entering into a new phase and you have to be open and accepting with that and just know like you're getting judged here. You're going to get feedback and maybe you'll get feedback that you don't want to hear. I mean, even when I competed in fitness, I remember my feedback of the pace needs to be faster. I'm like, Oh gosh, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this, but it's still been something that I'm working on. And I could have been stubborn and been like, you know, they're wrong. Like I'm going to stick with what I'm doing and I'm not, I'm going to bring something totally different is outside my comfort zone. Did it kind of irritate me? Of course, because it's hard for me to change those things, but you should be doing that if you want to excel and do well. Yeah, absolutely. And there's always tools to get your weaknesses up to par, you know, and you just have to be willing to use those tools. Some of my clients who have a harder time losing weight. You know, we pull back the training so they can have more cardio focus. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's it. Everything can be catered to the client's weaknesses. Yeah. Where do you feel like maybe like two to three things that people just go so wrong with post-show that might cause them to leave the sport entirely? Yeah, I think one thinking you wrecked your reverse diet week one or like even just the first two days i think there's a big misconception that you know the reverse diet has to be perfect right off the first Mm -hmm. day like yeah is it ideal but i've had people come to me three days into the first week and they're like i messed up my reverse diet well like your reverse diet is far from being done so Mm -hmm. get back on track um I think initially, too, um, people expect the hormones to essentially um, 
upregulate right away. And that's typically a longer process than unless you just TRT your way out of it, you know, and like kind mm-hmm. of that could be the cheat code for a little bit faster hormone upregulation, right? But, uh, you know, that I think that's another misconception now. And I also think the major one is just because you reverse does not mean your hormones upregulated. And that's like the biggest one because just because you got up to 400 carbs and you're still lean doesn't mean you did shit for your hormones. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I think you, I have seen a ton of that being surrounded by some of the camps that people were in. Like reverse dieting doesn't always repair your hormones and it's super individual. You got to look in there. Um, we always say tests don't guess. Yeah. And the goal with reverse dieting isn't to maintain this stage leanness. So in terms of failing the reverse, like by maintaining your leanness, that's not success. Success is getting you to a healthy body fat percentage and getting you to the place where you can add on that muscle tissue and just feel better in general. But the time that you put into your prep, you'll probably need that same time coming out of it to feel more like yourself. So don't do a four, six month prep and then expect in a month or two, everything's better. No, like this is a long recovery process. Like one thing I say to my clients a lot is it's a push and a pull. The push is the prep, the pull back is the reverse. And if you're just pushing all the time, you're going to have issues and, you know, pulling back really helps reset the system. And you'll, you might feel a little bit better post-show, but there's going to be a lot of psychological changes happening too, where you don't have that specific goal, or you might become more food focused or have those dietary behaviors that aren't the healthiest. And those are all things that you should still work on with your coach and break those. So you can feel more like normal after. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of people just come up with this like new identity too, as a bodybuilder, because they're getting so in love with fitness. And then they think that I need to be this like strict discipline, rigid bodybuilder year round. And then that causes a lot of resentment because that identity isn't aligning with them in their improvement season. And I'm here to say that you can have balance and you can have bodybuilding. I think you can be a successful competitor and have both and realize that you don't have to be the super strict bodybuilder in your improvement season. Like you don't need to be tracking your food during Christmas when you're not competing for like nine months. Like you got to learn how to chill out too, or again, you're going to resent this whole process. Another thing I'll say is some competitors will watch their engagements versus competing versus not. And it's like, why do the engagements mean so much to you? Mm -hmm. I think you know, the engagements are helping other people, not necessarily yourself. So you always have to do what's good for you in the long run. Yeah. I mean, ask yourself the question, would I compete without social media? And if the answer is no, like you already know what's the right move for you because, you know, you competed before social media. Would I compete before social media? For sure. Like I would still do it. Um, and with more engagement, I think a lot of people, it's not just your physical body. People like to follow a journey. You know, when someone gets engaged, when someone has a baby, when someone gets a new house and they're doing renovations on it, like people like to watch the process. They like to be entertained. And although you might look at it like, oh, they're just following me for my body. No, like you just have something to document now and it's interesting and you can still document 
the reverse process. You can still document getting stronger. So those are still things that you can keep up with. But I think a lot of bodybuilders fall off and then they go into, I need to hide mode. And then it's like, well, of course you don't have engagement. You haven't posted for a month. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, so you have to sell yourself and there's, you know, the people that are genuinely interested in you and, you know, will be around, you know, the people that matter will be around, you know, that's mm -hmm. beyond the phone and social media. Um, I'm going through this with a lot of my clients where, you know, they're in prep and they're getting close to celebrating birthdays and events with people. And, uh, they are like, how do I have fun and not center my activities around food? And I said, well, is your company good enough to make it not be about the food? You know, and they really start questioning like, wow, yeah. like it's just like people who get out of drinking. We all had friends who we could always drink with. And then we realized when we would just run an errand with them that they were boring as heck, you know, and we're like, yeah. I don't like this person when I drink. It's the same as um, if you eat. So just find good intimate connections and good deep connections with people. Yeah, I still have fun with my friends when I'm dieting. Like, just drink a Diet Coke and I can still play games and have good conversations and everybody's understanding. And if you don't have that circle of friends, I feel for you, but you can change that circle and you're going to meet some of your best friends like while competing and while at the gym, you just got to branch out and connect with those people, especially if you were the partier or the person that is like just coming out of college, but you got to just be real with yourself and, you know, I even remember my 21st birthday. I didn't even drink because I was two weeks out from a competition. And I still had all my friends over and they drank and that was fine by me. I still had fun with them. So it's all about your perspective too. Like if I'm the victim, oh, woe is me. Or like, this is my choice and I'm going to own it. Yeah. And, and you're going to meet great people in this industry and people that need some work and some bad people. And I think sometimes it's hard to distinguish the need some work and the bad people. Um, but mm -hmm. I think at least give everyone an opportunity to be seen and be helped, you know, and yeah. there's, there's been times I've definitely had to take my hands off the help, um, you know, uh, button. But at the same time, I always feel pretty good. I at least give everybody um, a chance at some point. Yeah. So let's end our podcast with something more positive. What is like, one of your favorite things about this sport and how it's either helped you or how you've seen it help others? I have somebody right now that I think is an amazing story. She actually was a drug addict and uh, actually lived in Las Vegas. And she came back to Las Vegas to do a show. And uh, I asked her if it would bring too many bad memories back. And she said, I actually want to be here because last time I was here, I was doing crystal meth. And now I'm in the best shape of my life physically and mentally. And um, mm -hmm. that really hit home. That might be one of my favorite success stories um, yeah. right now. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, it can like really turn their life around and give them a lot of purpose or just give them a healthy outlet. Like I know for me, one of the reasons why I love bodybuilding is like, I always felt like as a gymnast, I was old, right? I joined when I was 12 <clears throat> and basically at 18, you're considered old in that sport. 
And so when I joined bodybuilding, or I shouldn't say joined, when I started bodybuilding and started competing at like 20, I, I was a little fresh, little guppy. You know, I was like brand new and I had so much time and I saw women in their thirties and forties and fifties and sixties. I'm like, Oh crap. Like I don't have a, I don't have to stop. And that's what I wanted. I wanted an opportunity to keep going. And I didn't want someone to tell me you're too old for this, or we don't have the capacity for someone older and you don't have any opportunities. And that was like the hardest thing for me. So now it's like, it's, it's on my terms. Like this is up to me on how long I want to do this. And, you know, we see competitors even in their seventies, eighties and that 90 year old bodybuilder. So you can keep going as long as you want. Yeah, I think that's what's really amazing. Um, a lot of ex-athletes come into this with knowing that you can do this, you know, long-term. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So Adam, where can people connect more with you if they have any questions or they're wanting to check out like your social media? Yeah, they can follow me on See You Later Leaner is my Instagram handle, or they can go to seeyoulaterleaner.com. All right. So for everyone listening, I'm going to have Adam's information down below. And thank you again. Thank you. Hey guys, if you're finding Beyond the Bikini helpful, you might also like my Instagram and my TikTok. I'm your host, Nicole Ferrier, and you can find me at Nicole Ferrier Fitness on Instagram and TikTok. There, I drop more fitness tips where I cover similar topics as I do here on Beyond the Bikini. Make sure you check them out in the description down below.